Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be, once again, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 25. Matthew 25. Happy New Year and welcome to 2019. I can't believe we haven't been together since last year. Ha, ha, ha. It's a little New Year's joke, but if you were with us last week, you know that we began a three-week mini-series that's entitled Be Prepared, the motto of the Boy Scouts. Show yourselves to be ready. And what we're planning to do, we did this last week, plan to do this today and next week. We plan to study three of Jesus' teachings that are found in Matthew 25 on what it means to be ready, what it means to be prepared for Jesus' second coming when he returns. And you know what's important? Uh, Jesus has been saying for 2000, over 2,000 years that he's going to return. And he has not yet returned in, a, in the clouds, but if you die today, he has returned for you. Okay, so you need to make note of that. He may not return in the sky in the next thousand years, but he will return for you and me between now and then. So we need to be ready. We need to be prepared to stand before the Lord. Last Sunday, we, be, we began with the parable of the ten virgins, and we discussed how uh, Jesus is like a Jewish bridegroom who was in heaven. He left his heavenly father, came to earth seeking a bride. And one of the, the most awesome things about Jesus, and there's infinite number of things that, that are off, awesome about him. But one of them is that the bride he chose for himself was not a beauty queen. Can I get an amen? amen? The bride he chose for himself, according to the scriptures, was blind and lame and rebellious and swimming in her head over debt over her head. Drowning in debt, right? That's you and me. He chose us to be his bride. And knowing this, he still proposed to us. He still said, will you marry me? And those of us who said yes, he said, you know what? I have paid your debt. I'm going to get you out of debt. I'm going to clean you up. I'm going to give you sight. going to help you walk. Give you new life. That is Awesome. But he didn't just die for us to pay for our debt, although that was a big thing. One of the main reasons he died for us was to prove to us that he, what, loves us. To prove it, not just to say it, but to prove it. And he paid with most, his most precious possession. What's your most pr precious possession? It's your life. That's what he purchased us with, his, his life. And that's because he desires not just to save us, but he desires to have fellowship with us. He desires with, for us to be in a relationship, a marriage where the husband and wife are having a healthy relationship. And he says, I'm going back to my father. I'm going to go prepare us a place. Well, don't worry, I'm going to come back and get you. We're going to have a, a marriage, a wedding ceremony, and I'm going to return. But while I'm gone, I want you to get ready. I want you to be faithful. I want you to be prepared because guess what? I'm going to come back when you don't expect it. It's going to be a surprise. And when I do, I want it to be a party. So I want you to be prepared and ready. 
And so we, we know that Jesus longs. We know in our, in, 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 the, in our minds that Jesus longs to be with us, but do we know it in our hearts? He longs to be with his bride. And that's what he wants us to understand this morning. And so today, we are going to be investigating what it looks like to be prepared. Last week, we talked about that we need to be prepared. This is what it looks like. This is how we should live our lives while we're waiting. That's what today's passage is about. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be starting in Matthew chapter 25, beginning with verse 14. Verse 14, for it, for it, for the kingdom of heaven, that is, that's what the it is, for it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. So listen, right off, off the bat, we have a man who is going on a trip, and he calls his servants to himself. Now, I want you all to talk to me a little bit this morning. Help me out here. Who is the man represent in this parable? Okay, God specifically? Jesus. This is Jesus. He's talking about himself. Uh, what's the journey that this man is going to? He's, he, went, he left us, and he went back to heaven. That's, see the picture here? He, he went on a journey. And then who are the servants? The servants are, is anyone who claims to be a child of God under Jesus, okay? That's who the servants are, and that's what represents us, his church. And if you're taking notes this morning, I have three gospel truths that I want to share. The first one is this from this passage is that Jesus owns everything. Jesus owns everything. Look at verse 14. It says, for it will be like a man going on a journey. He called his servants and entrusted to them what? His property. We need, to, we need to be reminded that everything we have, everything that exists is Jesus's. Hebrews chapter 1 verses 1 and 2 says, long ago. Now, I don't know about you, and I probably shouldn't do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. Every time I read Hebrews chapter 1 and I see long ago, what comes to your mind? A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. Okay, so that always, you know, that has nothing to do with this. That's out of context, but I do that. But now that I have your attention, long ago, a long time ago in this world, not in a galaxy far, far away, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Verse 2 says, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. When did he do this? When the bridegroom came looking for a bride. That's when he came to the earth. That's when the son spoke to us. And this is, where, this is how we know that he owns everything. It says, whom God appointed the heir of all things. Okay. Philippians chapter 2 says that Jesus was obedient to the point of death. Therefore, because he was obedient, God has exalted him and given him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, at the name of the lion, every knee will bow before him. So that's one of the reasons that we know that everything belongs to him. Secondly, it says, through whom, through whom also he created the world. Jesus created, all things were created through him. John 1 Verse 3 says, all things were created through him, and without him, without Jesus, was not anything made 
that was made. Church, listen, as we are preparing for Jesus' return, we need to grasp this truth that Jesus owns everything. Whether you believe it or not, it belongs to him. Which leads us to our second gospel truth, which is this. That since Jesus owns everything, he has the authority to entrust us with his property. Jesus has chosen to take his property and entrust it to his servants. Look at verse 15 one more time. To one he gave five, five, five talents, to another two, and to another one. I don't know where that came from. <laughs> That's right. We are diverse. That was my Asian side coming out, I'm telling you. I was, I was talking to somebody. Uh, this, this is not in my notes, so Terry... It's coming anyway. I was talking to a guy at lunch today, and, and he, he sat down in front of me, and I started talking. He went, whoa, I didn't expect to hear that southern accent come out. And I said, I said man, what you talking about? <laughs> so anyway, that was my, right there, that was my Asian accent. Okay. Verse 15, to one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according, what, to his ability then he went away. Because Jesus owns everything, it's important for us to be reminded that nothing actually belongs to us. Okay? Nothing belongs to you. We are stewards of the possessions of our master. One, a steward is someone who manages another's property. And that's what we are. This should be the posture of our hearts. Now, we've got to be careful. Don't be weird. You know, uh, if, if someone uh, comes over... You can say, you want to come over to my house? You don't have to go, do you want to come over to the house that I'm stewarding for my master? I mean, that's weird Christian talk, okay? You can say it's yours, but you know in your heart that you are stewarding it for the Lord. We need to have that in our heart. Verse, uh, for, uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 4.17 says this. The Apostle Paul says, what do you have that you did not receive? Think about that. What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, which you did, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Again, Jesus owns everything, and he has chosen to entrust us, us with his property. Now, I want to make a distinction in this uh, passage right here between two words, talents and ability. You see that in verse 15? Talents and ability. What's the difference between the two? Because there is a difference. At first glance, we may look at the word talents and believe, think that it's referring to an individual's God-given natural skills. You know, like what you do at a talent show or America's Got Talent. But actually, that's not what that word talent means. Um, natural, na they are... I'm sorry, natural God-given skills fall under the category of ability. So let's go back to ability. Uh, that should be the next slide. He gave talents to each according to his ability, right? That's what it says. He gave talents to each according to his abilities. It doesn't say he gave abilities to those who had abilities. It says he gave talents. Abil so what are abilities? Abilities are God-given skills. They are desires and giftings that individuals possess with varying degrees 
of capacity. Let me read that again. Abilities are God-given skills, desires, and giftings that individuals possess with varying degrees of capacity. Some of us are built to handle more than others, we are, and we are all wired differently, aren't we? What you're interested in. Some of us don't like chili, as I just learned, right? But most of us do. But we're wired differently. For example, um, how many of you guys like babies, like infants? Okay. I, I like them, but I don't like holding them. Okay, I, my, my wife loves the infant stage. She loves that, but I don't like it because I get, there's something in me that's wired that goes, when I hold this thing, it's going to start crying, and I'm going to have to do this the whole time. It's very awkward. It's very awkward for me to, be, to take care of, that, uh, of infants. It really is. If anyone knows me, I'm not making this up. So for the first uh, few months of our, when we had kids, children, she would take care of the infants, and as they got bigger, I would take care of them. If they can laugh at my jokes, then I'm good with them. That's, that's how I determine whether I like them or not, okay, or that I'm good with them. But we're all wired differently. And the exciting thing about abilities is that depending upon your capacity, you can learn an ability, you can sharpen it, and you can develop it. But you've got to be willing to step out from your comfort zone and take chances and learn whether this is really an, an ability or just kind of like this fantasy that, that's in your head. I remember when I was um, in college, I had to start leading small groups. Now, I love leading an MC. Uh, in a lot of ways, for me, it's easier to lead an MC than it is for me to get up here and preach because I'm able to interact with people and talk and ask questions and move things around. It's just more, uh, to me, it's more organic. But it hasn't always been that way for me. I remember the first time in college I was leading a small group and I was given this paper. And I can remember this just fear gripping me. And as I was trying to read what was there, it was very awkward. And my face started turning red. And everyone in the circle's face was turning red because they felt awkward for me. Have you ever felt awkward for someone? Maybe you're feeling that way for me right now, but it's one of those things that, that I was, it was just awkward, you know? And I just left there going, that is not my gift. But God kept giving me opportunities to do it again. I, I didn't try to make this happen. It, God brought this opportunity to me. And so I, over the years, I have developed it. I have learned, uh, you know, if someone says something that's totally off base, somebody taught me to say, um, hmm, I've never thought of it like that instead of just slamming them, you know. So there's skills in, in knowing how to move through a, a small group, and that's one of the things that God has developed in me over the years. But ability, we need to understand in this parable, is God-given capacity, skill, and passions. That's what that is in this parable. It's the way that we are uniquely wired. So the, question, the next question then would be, what are talents? if they are not abilities and, and that sort of thing. Well, in Jesus' time, a talent was a large sum of money. It uh, has been estimated by some that the amount of money for one talent could be up to $600,000. $600,000. So think about this in, this in terms of this parable. The guy with one talent was given six over half a million dollars. 
The second guy was given $1,200,000. And the third guy, how much was he given? Three million. Five times six is 30. Three million dollars, right? That is a lot, but it's, it's according to each one's ability to handle, to invest the master's possessions. So in our, in our context, what do the talents represent? Well, talents, here we go. Now we got the definition. Talents are the responsibilities or opportunities that God entrusts to us based on our abilities. They are responsibilities that you have in your life as a believer. They are opportunities that God brings to you as a believer based upon your abilities. And these responsibilities and opportunities are entrusted to us by God. And according to this parable, we are going to be held accountable for the way that we steward them in the life that he gives us. Now, let me give you an example of how this works. If you just turn back one chapter to chapter 24 and look at verses 45 through 46, I think we're going to be able to see the difference between a talent and an ability. In verse 45, we're still in context. Jesus is still talking about what it means to be prepared. He says, who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household, to give them their food at the proper time. Blessed or happy is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Now, if we look closely at this passage, we're going to see a distinction between the talent and ability. Notice that in this verse, the master, who is is the master in this? Talk to me. Jesus is. He has a servant that has an ability. Now, what is the ability? The the ability is to prepare food and to distribute it. That is the ability. Now, what is the talent? What is the opportunity? Well, the opportunity or the responsibility is the household. He entrusts the household to his servant. You see that? See the difference between the talent and the the ability. So the master entrusts his household to him. And this is one of, this verse right here actually is a verse that I've used for years. I used it when, um, or still use it, as I think of myself as a father uh, over my household to make sure that they get their food at the proper time. I've thought of it as when I was uh, in another church just leading a small group. I was being faithful with ministering the food to the people. And I, I, I look at it as right now. And that's how each of us should look at our our uh, talents right now, because each of us, this is not just the pastor's uh, job to feed the flock. We are to be stewards of the word of God and ministering to one another, right? So this, this, this verse right here applies to all of us, and God has given each of us talents based upon our capacities. And in the same way, Jesus entrusts us with his property to invest on his behalf. So being prepared means we understand that, number one, Jesus owns everything. Number two, that Jesus entrusts us with his property. And then number three, that Jesus rewards faithfulness. And this isn't something that we like to talk about a lot, but he punishes unfaithfulness. 
He rewards faithfulness and punishes unfaithfulness. And we're going to look at verse 16 and read all the way through verse 30 now. And he who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little, and I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, and he also who had the two talents, came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I have made two talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Verse 24, he also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sowed and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and cast the worthless servant into the darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now notice that all three of the servants have abilities and they've been entrusted with talents based upon these abilities. The two, two of them are faithful and fruitful, and they are rewarded greatly. We need to see that. And one is unfaithful and unproductive and is punished severely. We need to see that also. And there's two things I want to point out here. Number one is this. Every servant's talent, listen to me, every servant's talent or Every servant who has been given responsibilities or opportunities needs to understand that you have significant importance. Every servant's talent is significant and important. Remember, in this parable, one talent equaled $600,000. Now, I need you to listen to me. I need everybody to pay attention. If $600,000 is not a lot to you. Please come see me after this message because I want to be your friend. Okay? $600,000 is a lot. It's not unimportant. And we need, to, we need to understand that the responsibilities and opportunities that God has set and given to each of us are important and significant because it's not about how much you've been entrusted with. 
listen to me, it's not about how much you are entrusted with. It's how faithful are you with what you've been entrusted with. That's why when you look at the, uh, this parable, the guy with five and with two, they get the same reward, don't they? Well done, good and faithful servant. It's not like one of them, because he had five, gets more glory or more praise. They get the same amount of praise. And maybe this morning you're looking around at other people and go, man, I wish I was like that guy. I wish God would let me do this. I wish this and that. Well, let me, let me ask you this. Based upon this parable, let me ask you this. If that's you this morning, and I'm not going to have you raise your hand, but if you're looking out there like, man, I wish I could do that, let me ask you this. Are you being faithful with what God has already given to you? Because if you're wanting more and you're not being faithful with what you already have, you won't be faithful with more. Verse 29 says, For to everyone who has been faithful, or for to everyone who has, who has what? Who has been faithful, they will be given more, and he will have an abundance. But for the one who has not been faithful, even what he has will be taken away. We need to, we need to be reminded that God rewards faithfulness. Not perfection, but he rewards faithfulness. By giving those who have been faithful with a little, he gives more and he punishes those who are faithless. So number one, we need to remember that whatever God has, wherever God has currently planted you, it's important for you to be faithful, even if you feel like it doesn't matter. It does matter. God tests us. He gives us things that seem remedial to us to see, are you going to be faithful with this little thing? And what I've noticed in my own life is that if I prove to be faithful, he gives me a little bit more. If I prove to be faithful with that, he gives me a little bit more. He's given me enough right now. Okay, I don't want no more. But he does give us more to be faithful with. God loves his children to be productive. Every servant's talent is significant and important, so be faithful. Number two, the second thing I want us to see here is that we need to understand that life has seasons. Life has seasons, and these seasons affect our abilities, they affect our capacities, and they, re they affect our responsibilities. Life has seasons. So young people, and when I say young people, I mean anyone that's like in high school down. Young people, even Hosanna, Savannah Hosanna, okay, <laughs> talking to you. Anyone that can understand what I'm talking about. I, I want you to understand what season you're in right now. Your primary season, your primary responsibility should be to develop your skills right now. While you don't have all these other responsibilities on you, you need to do this. You need to apply yourself. Um, one of the things that I am grateful for is back when I was in school, in, in high school, um, I took two classes that I'm really glad I took. Number one, I took uh, Mrs. Barron's uh, college English preparatory class. I'm not good at English. Uh, I'm not uh, one of the most fluid guys, but I did learn how to to do a speech and how to put things together and how to be concise. And I use that every week when I preach. God prepared me back when I was 18 years old. Another thing I took back then was a, a, a class called typing. 
Now, I don't know if they teach that anymore, but it was back in the day when we had typewriters. Now, don't you guys, how many of you guys used a typewriter, right? Do those things, now, how many of you guys are in high school now? Raise your hand. I just need, are there typewriters at Reynolds anymore? Okay, well, this is back in the day where you took this piece, and you put it in, that was a noise, and then you mess up, and what do you do? Take a piece of whiteout, backspace, miss it, keep, you go, pretty soon your whole paper is a piece of whiteout. I'm telling you, we do not have it hard today. Backspace is not hard, I promise you. But I learned to type. That is very, that's one of the most uh, important skills that I learned back then. But, but that's one of the things that you need to understand, young people, that right now is your time to apply yourself while you can. Don't waste this time. You need to, to be stepping out sometimes of your comfort zone and be all right with failing. This is the time to fail. Failure is one of our greatest teachers. And so, and instead of, listen, this is hard. I don't know if I could have taken this as a, as a teenager. I know it's hard to believe, but I was very cocky as a teenager, right? But uh, that was a joke, okay? But instead of being a teacher, okay, be a student. Assume the position of a student. Now, we need to be that way all the way through life. But there, if you will become a, if you'll learn to follow, the greatest leaders have learned to follow. So I want to encourage you, young people. God has put your parents, teachers, and other authorities in your life to help develop you right now. Don't push them off because you know better. And, and I'm talking from experience. Don't waste this season. Now, older singles, those of you who are uh, out of high school, um, God has entrusted you with a season of singleness. Now, what you need to see, I want to encourage you that you would recognize this as a gift. Not a curse, okay? Some of us really, really, really want to get married. I know that, and that's a good thing. That desire is a good thing. I'm not going to stand up here and go, well, until you're fully satisfied with God, you don't know. That's not, God put that desire in us to want to be married. It's a good desire, but God, don't make it happen. Don't strive to make it happen. Let God bring that opportunity in your life and that talent. But, If you're desiring to be married, I want want to encourage you that Paul tells us that someone who is single can be more devoted to the work of God because they don't have a spouse and a family trying to to take care of them. So while you are uh, maybe waiting for that spouse, and maybe hopefully that will not be your number one thing, you're, you're growing in your love for Jesus, your relationship, use your singleness to serve in ways that you won't be able to once you get married. I'm telling you, don't miss this season. Don't waste your singleness. Married couples, I got a word for you guys and ladies. Quit acting like you got it all together, all right? I got uh, some pictures I want to show that this is how we like, like take family pictures like this, right? You know, in front of the house, we're all happy. The grass is all perfect behind him. I mean, don't you go around your house walking around? Look, look how happy they are. One more. Don't go to the, yeah, don't go to the next one. But look, don't go to the next one yet. But look, see, we take chairs out, I mean, couches out into the woods, you know. <laughs> My wife is a, uh, anyway, this is it's just amazing. The, the, 
That ain't real, okay? Now, I'm gonna, in just a second, I'm going to show you, and I've shown this before, I think, to this church, but I'm going to show you what's real, okay? This, this picture is a picture of me and my family 16 years ago. This is real, okay? <laughs> That's real. That is real, okay? Look at me. I got that look like, man, I don't know what I'm doing. Kelly just had Abby. Abby, I don't know what you're doing in that picture. Well, I do know what you're doing in that. Is she in here? Okay, that's, isn't that amazing how beautiful a seed can become? Boaz is looking at the cameraman like, I don't trust you. And Kelly's just in a daze, like, what in the? She has all these kids. Micah, I can hear. Micah's the one sitting on my lap. And by the way, that, that uh, turtleneck is, is looking pretty GQ. But <laughs> Micah, if you look at him closely, you can hear him saying, help, help. Look at, see that? Let me tell you, that's, what's, that's a real picture. It is difficult, isn't it? If, now, if even without the kids... Marriage is difficult, and, but we need to realize that you cannot run. If you're married, you cannot run like you did when you were single. I hope you realized that before you got married, because a lot of people don't. A lot of people want to keep walking like they're still single. But if you are married, you need to understand that your primary talent, primary responsibility is your spouse, and if God has given you children, that is your primary talent. This is not your peak season to be developing your skills. That was before you got married, okay? You, you need to understand that, that what your primary responsibility is. This is a mistake that I've seen many, many, many people make over the years, trying to put their family on hold while they go and pursue a career or go back to school or start a business that is beyond their capacity, okay? I'm not saying that there are some people that have the capacity that can do well with their primary responsibility, run a business, uh, go back to school, but most of us can't, okay? But the reason that most people, sometimes we do these things is because we want more things, okay? I could preach an entire message on this this morning, but I'm not going to. I just want to encourage you that if you are married and you have a family, I want you to encourage you to recognize what your primary talent is. Don't think you can put your family on hold. They will not be there when you get back. And the season passes so quickly. Um, I just want to just encourage us to be very careful how we steward our families and that we would do it wisely. Lastly, empty nesters. We got any empty nesters in the house? Yeah, yeah. put your hand in the air like you just don't care because you don't care. You don't care anymore, all right? But that's not good. <laughs> empty nesters do not retire on us, okay? Can I get an amen? Yes. Do not retire on us. We need you. Don't check out. We need you, especially if you blew it in the years I just talked to you about. Because you can help us to see things that you've experienced. And listen, the rest of us, we need to be teachable. 
We need to uh, listen to those who are older. And if you are older, I want you to understand you have a place in this church. Every, every uh, age group has a, a place, but we need older, battle-worn, <laughs> beat-down <laughs> old people. And I say old people because Nancy, she said, I love being called old. So I call her old all the time. She likes it. But I do, seriously, I do want to encourage all of us, whatever season of life God has you right now, I want to encourage you to make the most of the season that you're in. Protect it, the talents that he's given you. Develop them. Invest in them. Because in the end, God is eager to reward us because he is not an evil master. He's a good master. So the question we need to ask is this. Why were two faithful and one was not? We might be tempted to think, well, these two uh, other ones were more faithful because their abilities were greater than the others. That is not the case at all. We need to understand that faithfulness has nothing, zero, to do about gifting. It has nothing to do with that. And once again, like last week, it's, it's, it's the same answer as last week about what it means to be prepared. It is entirely, 100%, without exception, being prepared is all about relationship. Okay, it's about fellowship, relationship and fellowship. Last week it was relationship with the groom. This week it's relationship with the master. Now, the groom and the master are the same one, but in these parables, it's do you have a relationship and fellowship with the master? And, and when I study this parable, one of the things that sticks out to me is that the first two servants they appear to be operating from a spirit of joy and excitement. Can you feel that when you read that passage? They are eager to serve their master. And it says they immediately go out and begin investing their master's property. They are they're excited. And when, when he returns, you know, they're kind of like little grade school children who have their report card, who know that they have worked hard this year and they've, they've done good and they can't wait for their daddy to see what they've done. They're not doing it because they're afraid they're going to get a spanking. They know that their daddy is the kind of daddy that says, you know what, I'm not as, as concerned about the return as I, as I am about your faithfulness. Did you do your best in school? Parents, if you've got children, the one thing you need to be concerned about is did they imply their heart, not necessarily the grade. Did they apply what they, God had given them and, and develop it? If, you, if the answer is yes, then well done, good and faithful servant. So they aren't trying to measure up. They aren't trying to win their master's love because by faith, they already know that their master loves them. And this, that, listen, that is what motivates them. Knowing the love of their master is what motivates them. They know that he is good and rewards his faithful servants and that he is eager to say to them, well done, good and faithful servants. Enter into the joy of your master. Now, according to Jesus, the unfaithful servant, he was not productive. Why? Because he was wicked and lazy. And we know that this servant did not really know his master. We know he didn't know him because of what he says to him. He basically, basically tries to turn the tables on his master. He goes, Master, it's your fault that I was not productive. 
It's because you are mean and you are difficult and I was afraid of you and, that you, and you don't care about me. You just want a return for yourself. That's what this servant says, showing he doesn't know his master. And notice, and I want us to notice something here. Fear of punishment does not motivate this servant to serve the Lord with gladness. And it will not motivate you or me to be afraid that you're going to get punished if you don't serve God. That is not the point of this passage. Now, there is punishment for those who do not serve the Lord, but he wants first relationship and fellowship that produces faithfulness. And so our Lord does warn us that the faithless will suffer severe punishment. But that's not how he motivates us. He desires for us to serve him from hearts of love. He wants us to know that he's good, that he loves us, that he is for us, and that he rewards us. And that's the reason that true disciples invest in the kingdom, because they know this about their master. And we know that we invest in him, in his kingdom, because why? Because he first invested in us by laying his life down on the cross. That is our motivation. Christ's love must be our driving motivation. And if it is, we can be assured that we will be prepared to stand before our master, unashamed, and one day, this is what we're going to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Let's pray.